Hello, and welcome to another episode of Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. I'm Leonard Cochran, your host, and of course, I've got Steve Otterstrom with us. And Steve, we just had recently engaged in a conversation with Trish Ewell, and we're going to go ahead and pick up the second part of that conversation. But tell, tell me about your day yesterday. I hear you had some fun. Oh, yes. Uh, well, yesterday I had the opportunity. I went out to my uh, father-in-law's, and uh, we were working on his irrigation system. But that really isn't what's interesting to talk about at this at this juncture but um when we went in for lunch um you know that i was looking at my phone as we all do you know we we stop and we check and see what's happening in the world and uh on my news feed something had come up and it just said uh furloughed workers are now moving into laid off workers something along the lines was that headline mm-hmm. and yeah. uh it was it was kind of jarring I, I just kind of like turned off my phone. Um, I, I've been actually thinking ever since we, we talked to Trish last time about that concept of um, like removing your emotional waste or having that emotional bowel movement. And I was thinking, I'm just not ready for this one. <laughs> it's time, time, to, time to shut this off. But it, it, yeah. it didn't matter because it was still something that I thought about throughout the day and uh, thinking about in our industry, uh, hospitality, as far as I have seen, doesn't appear to be showing any signs of immediate recovery. Um, and so, you know, dealing with that stress mm-hmm. and that anxiety from from that perspective. Yeah, because you you really don't unsee it once you see it, right? <laughs> you know, and, and so it weighs yeah, exactly. on you despite the fact. And, and, you know, looking at the article later on, I think it, it had to do with like Boeing employees, um, which... Uh, that's really kind of the same industry for us in, in a lot of ways. When people fly, that's when they travel. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm doing good today. Yeah. Well, good, good. Well, today we're going to focus on some tools and te- techniques that uh, Trish had used. So Trish, you're here with us again. So welcome back to our podcast. Great to have you. we laid a good framework of a lot of situations in your past and where we were and we talked about your emotions and different things so let's go ahead and focus some on some treatments some interventions or techniques that have been working for you so i'll I'll just let you jump in and say hello would lead us off and we'll go from there (laughs) no thanks leonard hi guys well uh, you know thanks for having me back i'm glad that we're continuing the conversation and i think you know steve that story that you just shared um, goes into things that we were talking about previously. And that is, so you see this message on the phone about this headline and you have this emotional reaction to it. And you made a decision in the moment that you, you acknowledged your response, but then you also made a decision that you weren't going to fully explore those emotions at that time. Is that, would that be sort of an accurate description of that? Yeah, I think, and, and if I was going to create a visual analogy, it was kind of like um, uh, I couldn't unsee it, just like Leonard had said, but acknowledging that I got to chew this slower. <laughs> like I've already got too mm-hmm. much to think about. Just thinking about the the concept that industry-wide or, or many of the people in the same situation that are not working right now are now moving from the semi-unemployed to the fully unemployed they they, they're not connected to any organization and uh so yeah i I felt like i'm gonna have to address this but i need to do it in smaller bites like i've already taken more just reading this headline is more than i can handle at the moment yeah and you had work to do yeah and you and your you were there at your father-in-law's to do some heavy labor i mean you were i think you had shared before we started the recording that it was putting in like an irrigation system so it's like yeah you need to have your head in the game you can't um be mulling over something so heavy while and digesting something so heavy i would think while it is that you're you know trying to do something that really needs more of your focus and attention um which and is I interesting that, because in, yeah. in many ways yeah. I found that to be more helpful, you know, because I, I was able to be doing some manual labor um, rather than, and it, it certainly required some thought too, but it was, it was, it was almost like I was playing in a completely different side of my brain, you know, and, and thinking, how do we, cause we we're pouring some cement, how do we make these forms work? <laughs> how do we, um, rather than, than thinking about 
So I was able to use my brain, occupy my brain, occupy my muscles as well. And, and that, that actually was really helpful to, to get back out and, and do work that was completely not related. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's a great observation in and of itself because that grounds you, right? So, and that's actually one of the modalities that we know actually can help whenever it is that we're having that emotional sensation or that kind of feedback loop in our bodies is to move, is to physically move. And that that helps to short circuit the, the thinking, what's happening, you know, what's happening in our heads. And, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, that kind of aligns to, um, a headline that I saw, and it was kind of funny where I was at that particular moment, but I saw a headline, I'd come in, I'd been out cleaning my garage. Like who, like really, was that the thing that I needed to be doing? But I, I needed to do some, I needed to literally do some heavy lifting. Like, you know, it was like, I just had this sensation to just be physically uh, engaged in something. And when I came in to grab something to eat, I saw on my phone, that the um, you know goodwill and other uh, types of uh, places that accept you know donations like that are overrun with the donations because everybody's mm-hmm. cleaning out their closets and cleaning out their garages and there was right. this there was this weird moment for a moment where there was both like um, a solidarity like oh wow like I'm like other Americans in the Western world like we're all doing this like that's kind of good and then on the other hand there was also at the same time this emotion of like oh wow I'm like other Americans where <laughs> we're having this kind of reaction <laughs> to this crisis and this situation and I was like so that really means that this is a reaction to the it made the crisis and situation a little bit more real at the same time that it gave me sort of this solidarity with the rest of the humans around me. Um, so it's, again, it's just this it's this interesting interplay of emotions and, and how do we deal with them in that moment. Americans that gathered all this up and said, oh, crud, what am I going to do with it now that everybody else has given theirs away? Yes, yes. Have you considered hoarding? (laughs) That's that's always an option. (laughs) I hear that has emotional benefits as well. (laughs) Yes. But it it, it really is interesting, though, how... Uh, and, and I know I'm I'm playing and talking about that, but to to a degree. <laughs> but we really all are responding different and reacting different. And Trish, I know prior to the call, you mentioned it was your first time getting outside recently as well. So talk talk to that just a moment because I recognize uh, I, I've gone out multiple times. And I'm one of those guys, I, I almost hate to say this out loud on the podcast, but I will. Uh, I've gone out, I tried wearing gloves the first time, and I could never figure how to get my money out of my pocket, how to put the keys in the car and do all that <laughs> and not have yep. the same thing on my hands, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the food service guy that mops the floor and fix your hamburger. I'm sorry. I just yeah. grew up using my hands and washing them frequently, and that, that always worked. So I wore the gloves, but I hadn't worn a mask yet. And I know some people just gasp at the fact of not wearing it. And now Mississippi, Tennessee are beginning to talk about opening. I think we officially kind of open next Monday or Monday, the 11th of May, for those of you listening later. Uh, I think we open then. But nonetheless, I'm seeing more people wearing masks. So even though I have not worn a mask and I wrestle with the glove thing, everybody's responding a little different, but tell, tell me about your experience. Share that with us if you would, because you did, you spoke to it just briefly prior to the call. And then let's talk about some of these interventions and different things and dig in a little bit more. Yeah. I, so, uh, so two things. So, so one is I have clients, so I'm in Illinois, I'm outside of the Chicagoland area and I have clients that are here um, in Chicago. So for us, the virus is um, very active in Cook County, which is where the city of Chicago is. And then the second county where it's most active is mine, DuPage County, out here in the western suburbs. And I have... um, uh, I have uh, autoimmune... um, I, I... so I can't get this thing. I can't get this bug. And so I've been very, very careful. Uh, and, um, 
so in having groceries delivered and all of that kind of stuff, I have followed, you know, we've got doctors on YouTube that show you how to, you know, go through, you know, basically a protocol of like cleaning anything that comes into the house. If I go outside right. for a walk, I come in and the clothes that I wore outside, like I'm extremely careful. And I, and I realize the level of hypervigilance that I have because I, I realize that I'm, um, I'm in the high risk category and I do not want to catch this thing. So, so that being yeah. said, that really, yeah, that really yeah. does go back to what I said too, Trish though. You know, I mean, we all are responding differently for different motivations and different reasons. So it's, it's not a, a judgment that I throw out by any means. It's, it's just, we have what we have and we feel the way we do or we have the reason we do. So anyhow, continue. And I, well, and I think that that, and I think that that's so important. And again, going back to a quote that you had shared on the last podcast about we're all going through the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And I, and, and, and I know I've certainly had this myself. We're, we're social animals, right? So we're gauging our own behaviors and our own reactions against what the rest of you know our reference groups are doing right so and i remembered actually yeah. when all of this first started to happen i actually called a girlfriend of mine and was like is this really happening or am i just responding to negative media you know to you know to something am i am i having an overreaction to this and she's like no this is this is really happening but we check in with each other, whether right. we do it explicitly and verbally like that all the time, or we just look to see what our neighbors are doing um, or to see what our peers and our colleagues and our friends are doing. So, so, and then it's being able to trust our own individual responses. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I had to get over in some of the family text messages in particular, now that I think about it, where other family members aren't take are in other, you know, they're in their households and other parts of the universe and they're not taking the same stringent precautions that I am. And so that scared me at first, like that scared me. And then it was like, well, they need to roll with what is good for them. Like, so my response doesn't dictate anybody else's response, but in the same frame, I have to trust that other people's responses don't necessarily dictate mine. And I think that that's really important because we're all having this individual experience amidst this shared collective experience and they don't necessarily line up. So for me, I hadn't been to the I hadn't been to the store since the end of March. And what's changed here in Illinois is um, Governor Pritzker actually just extended our lockdown order, our shelter at home, um, on May 1st. And when the extension went into uh, went into effect on May 1st, there were new rules that went in. And one of the new rules is that now in public, we are expected to wear masks. And so that's different. Mm. So, you know, back the last time yeah. that I had been at the store at the end of March, that was actually when the CDC was still telling everybody, don't wear a mask. Masks are only for first responders and for healthcare workers at the front line. Like, I mean, it really made us feel in the United States, like if you wore a mask, like you were doing something terrible to the people that were, you know, providing medical care, that we were denying them, you know, access to PPE. And then now here it is, you know, May 1st and, you know, it's gone, kind of full circle and we're supposed to wear a mask out. And so I've, again, I've gone for walks and done that kind of stuff. The other thing that happened um, since May 1st is because the new rules went into effect and because I have clients here in the in Illinois and specifically in the Chicagoland area, part of what I've been doing, which is not usually my, you know, my role is I've been helping my clients understand the new rules as they evolve or new information as we understand more about the virus. Like I've been reading a lot of, you know, Department of Public Health stuff, like to make sure that my my clients have the information that so they're busy trying to operate their essential businesses in the middle of this. And my job is to help them have access to the information that they need in order to continue to keep their employees and their customers well, and to do the things that they need to do above and beyond with 
what they understand as, you know, health and safety, but what are the new things that organizations are either expected to do or new things that have now been discovered about, you know, the virus that changes the way that we need to manage, you know, a workplace and, and manage employee care and manage um, customer care. So I've been consuming a lot of that information on behalf of my, my clients. And so when you take both of those things and set me loose, you know, back heading up to the grocery store. So here was, so I had cleaned out the garage and now I had stuff to put at the curb, which meant that I needed garbage stickers. And so now I had to go to the store to go get garbage stickers. And that was, that was what actually sent me to walk you know, up the street to my grocery store to go and stop at the customer service desk. And so this was the first time that I ventured out of the house with a mask on. And it was the first time again that I had been at a store. I, I've seen my neighbors from across the street and I've seen people on the street, you know, at a, at a safe distance as we're walking around the neighborhood. Sure. Um, but I have to, I have to say that everybody having masks on and me having a mask on gave me a much greater sense of confidence and safety. And I, and I think that's what it is, is we just want to feel like we've got some level, some confidence that there's some safety um, when it is that we, when it is that we venture when it is that we venture out. And, and so everybody having a mask on and myself included just gave me a much better level of safety. It doesn't mean I'm going to go to the store every day, but it definitely served to relieve my anxiety. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've been wearing masks, you know, every time I've gone to the store and uh, Leonard, I have trouble with gloves too, but, but I still, I, I have a box of gloves in the car and I put them on when I go into a store and then I take them off and I come back out and um, it's it's interesting because like a, a, a couple days ago, um, I had taken my mask into the house with me. And then when I went off to the hardware store to get something, um, I had forgotten my mask. And I got there and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go in and come out really quick and I'll try and stay, you know, a distance away from everyone. But it felt like that dream where uh, you you go somewhere and you realize you're naked <laughs> yeah. because I become so used to wearing one uh, whenever I go into any kind of um, enclosed structure where there are other people that uh, it just seemed like really wrong <laughs> to be breathing uh, something that hadn't been filtered and be putting my air out there um, in a way that wasn't, you know, passing through some kind of mesh. Uh, very interesting how that gives us that sense of security. Of course, Leonard, it sounds like for you, it doesn't give you that sense of security. Well, yeah, and I'm not an advocate of everyone doing what I do either, just as a disclaimer. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. I'm an advocate I, of everyone doing what you do, Leonard. I'm a big fan. <laughs> well, but uh, as, I, as, as I think about the different steps we're taking and the different emotional aspects of it, though, it really, in tying it back to being on furlough and, and Steve tying it back to you reading those headlines, you know, from, from an emotional perspective, we all, uh, Trish, fully agree. We all, we all want to fit in, right? And uh, I, I always think about that bell curve of the old elementary school bell curve and we all want to be in the middle of that curve somewhere it seems like nobody wants to be an outlier so there's definitely something in us as human beings that way and as we think about furlough there is sadly ironically there's comfort in knowing that yeah i'm i'm here with how many other millions of americans i was looking at the unemployment rates today uh, email I got came in and it had each state's unemployment. So the first thing I do is compare my state to every other state. So there's still this idea of comparison of what's normal and all that. But let's, if we could, let's kind of shift because we, we all, I, I think we can all pretty well relate to that. But so, uh, and Trish, back to you and your prior experiences that you've been through and the trauma and different things that we talked about in our last podcast with you. What are some of the techniques and tools that you've used to help not only normalize um, the situation, because sometimes everybody 
as we've just talked about the boats, not everybody's in the same boat. Sometimes our boat is a little bit different than the others. So in you, in the case that you have shared with us in the last podcast you were on, uh, certainly you were not riding in the boat with everybody there, and I'm not trying to call you out on it, but that's those were some special circumstances. So what were some techniques and tools that you used to kind of help bring some quote-unquote normality to your life, and then maybe we can leverage some of those same types of tools for us as we think of the stress and the anxiety of now. We're, we're sort of adapted to the fact that, yeah, we're here on furlough, a uh, third of the way through or whatever the case is for us. But now we're going pivoting, beginning to pivot as businesses are opening up. That So there's an, a new normal we're having to adjust to. And then eventually a new normal will be returning back to work as well. So let me bounce it to you and, and have you share some, some thoughts on that, if you would. Yeah. I So I think it goes back, you know, to what we've been talking about in that we, we do look at our reference groups, right? What is everybody else doing? We do want to be in the middle of that, in the middle of the bell curve and, and sort of fit in because we don't want to be cast out. To be cast out on a primal level means to be rejected from the community. And and that's that's a very primal response. Like we can't survive. You know, humans are meant to, again, live in the collective by and large. I mean, there are certainly some, there are certainly some people that are um, outliers, but uh, and so that's a that's a very very primal kind of need and and in going through something um, and we talked about this uh, a little bit last time and that is we do have a tendency to look for something that's normal like in talking about um, you know going through cancer and and chemotherapy and um, coming out of the ICU and not being able to walk not being able to talk not being able to do the basic things again but then showing up in a wheelchair at a conference to present at a conference three weeks later wasn't anything about being headstrong. It was about normal. It was about getting back to some part of my life that I recognized as normal. And we can see those behaviors playing out perhaps in ourselves and certainly with others around the world right now in trying to figure out like what what is what is normal, right? How do I get back to a life that I recognize you know, as one that I had before, you know, pre-pandemic. And and then how do I do that within the context of the social norms, right? So what are the new social norms? What right. What is the community sort of doing? You know, it was interesting too, when I ventured out to the store yesterday, and I, I have certainly seen this, um, you know, it's funny with all of us sort of walking around the neighborhood. And again, that's a luxury here in the United States for sure. Because again, I've had friends in Spain and in Italy and other parts of the world where lockdown meant you stayed in your house for weeks. You did not go outside yeah, at all. Yeah, literal lockdown. You literally are in yeah. lockdown. And, you know, so, but it's been interesting because it's like when you see other people on the street, it's like, do you even acknowledge them? Like, again, what's the new etiquette? Like, what's the new social norm? Do you wave? Do you say hello? Like... Because you don't run over and and shake hands, right? I mean, it's you know, how do we yeah. greet each other? It's it's really interesting, and and again, that can take an awful lot of um, because we have this hyper vigilance and this hyper awareness. Like, where are we putting our hands? Like, what are we touching? You know, like we're out and about. Like, what are we touching? What is our social distancing or our physical proximity to another human being? who's not within our household, right. like all of those things put us in this like heightened state of vigilance. And we were, we were talking a bit last time on there's sort of different levels to all of this, right? There's high pressure challenge, which isn't quite, quite stress yet, but it's, you know, we're thinking about things or, or modifying our behavior because there's um, something that's challenging us. And then there's stress and stress is like the cortisol is firing. Your body is having a physical response. And then we get beyond stress into crisis. And then we start getting into trauma. Like what's happening with our medical, um, you know, our medical workers, you know, people that are in the healthcare system, like that's traumatic, but it's also traumatic. Like the things that you were talking about with people losing their jobs, with the way that people are losing their jobs, the, um, people coming into financial hardship, people who are sick, people who are caring for people that are sick. So there are different there are different right. levels to this. And and of course we're not 
the three of us on this call are not medical professionals and this is not medical advice that we're providing in any kind of way there's a certain point at which no. people need you know real medical care but for things with coping strategies right so around more of that lower level of uh, high pressure challenge and stress dealing with the the stressors even in the day-to-day -day stuff forget the you know the the big stuff but even in the day-to-day -day stuff we've we've talked about some already one it has to do with just even recognizing that you're having an emotional response to something we recognize emotional responses because those are sensations that are happening within our bodies what's interesting about that is we haven't necessarily been trained or educated on how to deal with those emotional responses or even any kind of consistency or commonality in identifying them. So the way that you experience a particular emotion may be different than the way that I experience a, that same emotion, but it usually starts with some kind of physical sensation. And so two of the things that we can do right off the bat, number one is breathe, because we have a tendency of, of breathing in a very shallow kind of way. And the second thing is to move because there is that mind body connection. And so movement actually takes us out of the thought patterns that can serve to um, inhibit us, right? Or, or even sabotage, um, even sabotage us to a certain degree. So, so two of the, um, two of the practitioners that I really like in that particular space one is Dan uh, Brule, who actually has, uh, he's got a whole bunch of audio books. There's a whole bunch of stuff that people can find for free on the internet about breathing techniques that we can do um, in order to be able to slow things down and to really help us. We have a tendency of learning how to breathe at the top of our lungs, rather deeply into our lungs. And when we breathe at the top of our lungs and we get into a state of crisis, that can cause us to hyperventilate. And so how do we, how do we lower that stress response or, or keep ourselves from escalating? Like there are breathing techniques and Dan Brule is, is one of the ones that we can use. Um, he's got a whole body of work in learning how to do that. And as a matter of fact, he's also got a whole body of work in teaching children how to do it, uh, especially around play. Like, so how did children actually do things to learn how to breathe better? And this reminds me of like what you were talking about with your grandson and an ice cream recently, Leonard. I, you'll have to repeat that, Trish. The audio went out from my end. Oh, sorry. So, um, so when we get ourselves into an emotional state, you know, how do we uh -huh. breathe through it? And not only us as adults, but then how do we teach our children how to do it too? And you had shared a story gotcha. about your grandson was having a reaction to not being able to, to get something. And his physical response to that was to, to cry. Like that was the only communication method I'm assuming yeah. that he, you know, that was just the sort of the automatic, you know, response. Yeah. Well, in fact, I have heard of using breathing techniques. Um, I, I believe it's L E L education, uh, in Detroit and it's some other places where they're using meditation or breathing exercises to help kids. And it is just exactly what you're saying to help them kind of gather the thoughts, gather their emotions. And they do that with kids. And so they're, um, these kids are often inner city, troubled homes, whatever, those kind of stereotypical types of things, unfortunately. Uh, but it's helping them perform better in school in doing it. And I know just from some of the learnings that uh, Steve and I are involved in, that we know there is a lot of power in just even that calming meditation, a lot of apps out there and things. So when you say breathing, I, I know it may not necessarily be referencing meditation as well, but I, I, I can certainly understand there's a certain calming effect with that. And the way we breathe, obviously, just as you say, I uh, know from choir practice in school, it was always breathe from the diaphragm, be, breathe from the diaphragm. And you can sing and perform much better in doing that rather than those short breaths or singing from your throat and everything's, as you're describing it, the top part of your lungs. So that's some really, really good advice there. 
And, and again, unless we've gone through some kind of a discipline, either as children or, or even as adults that has taught us other breathing methods, we otherwise just kind of do whatever we do. And we don't even necessarily know or recognize that there are aspects about ourselves, like learning how to breathe better, like learning how to walk differently, like our gait, like we're not stuck with those things. Those things are actually fluid. We can, we can learn. We just haven't necessarily been taught before or in a context of being taught, but those are both things in that particular case. We can learn how to breathe and we can learn how to move in a way that actually helps us to um, cope and to actually restore a state of calm and to help manage a situation better. And yeah. Trish, it's, it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but just to mm. throw it out, we don't want to dwell here per se, but as you mentioned the movement and how that helps us, um, I do have a friend that does um, tactile learning. Uh, there's Lego tech, um, I forget the exact name, but <laughs> using Legos in training. And one of the things that he shared with me about that is people are playing with the Legos and expressing through creating things with Legos. And what happens is your mind, and I'm sure this is what, where the movement comes in, your mind is busy using its fingers and dexterity, that tactile, you know, that movement. And so you're not as um, consciously pushing to think and create words or thoughts but those things end up surfacing, I always say, in the crock pot of your mind, you know. So it's like when you wake up and you have an epiphany from the night before. It gives, that movement gives your chance, your brain, excuse me, chance to sort of function without you being focused on your brain. Is that kind of what you find from that movement and doing that type of thing? Yeah. And there, yes. And there's also, there's a, a whole body of work out of Harvard. There's a bunch of research out of Harvard. Um, and this is, and I, one of the practitioners that I really like her name, she's Israeli. So her name is Anat Banyal, as in B as in boy, but Anat Banyal. And she developed what's called the Anat Banyal method. And what it's all about is neuromovement. So it literally talks about that connection of micro movements like how do we, so that tactile sensation of working with things or working with objects or even minor movements that we do with our bodies that actually then change the neuroplasticity in our heads. So it can be anything from, you know, kind of calming down our immune system or calming down our nervous system to helping with our, you know, mental faculties to doing something that would be like our heart energy, which is measured as coherence. And we can talk about any of these things. But it literally talks about that 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 motor sensation uh, along with our emotional and our and our mental state that it's connected. And there's um, again at a Harvard, like you can look up uh, neuro movement um, in, in that in that specific connection. Uh, but we can do those things in order to be able to sort of break us out of you know, a spell, if you will, or, um, or, or, or a crisis, a personal crisis that we're, that we're having. Again, there are, there are levels to this, right? How do we manage high pressure challenge? How do we manage stress? You know, being in a, in a full-blown crisis, like an, like an anxiety attack or, or a panic attack would denote that, you know, needing, um, some kind of professional medical help, but there are, there are these types of techniques that we can use short of that in order to be able to manage our day-to-day. -day. This is all really interesting, especially from this perspective that as you're talking, I'm just thinking, this is what our bodies naturally try and do a lot of time, times. Mm -hmm. You know, when I get nervous, I pace, um, or um, I, I have to go out for a walk, or I have to, you know, that, that even we, we talk about nervous energy <laughs> and, mm -hmm. And, and it leads us towards taking some of those, maybe those self-care type of movements that might help us be in the right place. Um, and it's interesting, even as you were talking about the breathing part of, of things, that how often is it that we just get so anxious and we forget to breathe? <laughs> and, and, and whether you have a special um, format in which you do that, just a few long, deep breath seems to, for me in many ways, change the rhythm 
that I'm dealing with. I don't know if that's even the right term, but it almost feels like there's a different rhythm when you're calm. And breathing kind of helps kind of set the metronome to the more correct way of dealing with whatever it is that you're you're confronting at that moment. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, you're changing the cadence. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, I think that, you know, it's a habit, right? These are habits like any other. And if we're out of, if we're out of habit, if we're not, if we haven't been attentive to implementing deliberate coping strategies before, again, we just kind of roll with whatever, you know, it is that we do without really having an awareness of our response. And, may, and maybe our responses, our natural responses, our instinctive responses could very well be healthy and that they're working for us. But how do we then uh, explore those and look at ways of being able to use them with even more intention as we go through really what are a series of crises that are happening around us? And in some cases, uh, you know, much more directly for, for some folks than, than for others. Um, in order to be able to, to navigate going through this period of time. Yeah. And it feels like, um, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, it feels like, you know, from what, what I'm hearing from you and even Leonard as well, is that maybe one of our biggest challenges is just to, to remember that we need to look at ourselves and look at those emotions because our emotions don't tell us, Hey, second guess me. They, they tell us, this is exactly the way you should be feeling and you need to feel this way and you need to really dive deeper into this emotion. It's the right emotion for this moment. And I'm not saying any emotion is ever wrong at any point, but sometimes um, certain emotions can, can be too much to deal with at, at one point or another. And, and having that reminder to reevaluate. I, I was just thinking as you were talking about um, an adaptive technology that I saw used uh, for a family member with autism, that um, he had trouble in school remembering to stay focused on what he was supposed to. And so he had kind of this watch thing that would uh, vibrate at, at, at intervals that you couldn't predict. And it would just remind, oh, take focus or take note of where you should be right now. And I wonder if there's some sort of maybe tickler system that can help us remember to take uh, a mental evaluation of where we're at and what we're feeling and why we're feeling that. Have you encountered anything like that before in, in your studies or the things you've looked at? Yeah, it's a really good question, Stephen, a really good observation. I, you know, it's feedback loops, right? So it's, it's, we're trying to get, you know, we're trying to manage internal feedback loops with ex external interventions um, in some cases. And I, I, uh, you know, it's funny that you, you say that because Leonard and I had a little bit of an offline conversation about this. And that is this whole idea of a, it's a pattern disruption, right? So it's like you find yourself falling into this emotional state or falling into this mental state. And then you need something external to you that sort of snaps you out of it. And Leonard and I had a little bit of a conversation, and I, I certainly would be interested in your perspective on this. And, and of course, people listening to this podcast, but you're sheltering at home with your respective families. I'm here sheltering at home by myself with the cat. And I'm, and the reason why the cat is significant is because I have often said to Oz, the cat, that it's a good thing he's not a houseplant because he'll follow me into the kitchen and tell me that it's time. He'll, he'll, you know, <laughs> let me know vocally, verbally, and intensely that it's time to feed him, which is good because sometimes I'm wrapped up in Trish world <laughs> and I forget. A houseplant, unfortunately, can't do that. And therefore houseplants do not tend to do well in my household, but Ozzy the cat does well. Because of it, doggone it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but Oz does well because he can advocate for himself. But what's interesting with a pet, and we're hearing a lot about people that are sheltering in place with pets. As a matter of fact, for some of my family members, I had suggested as, as we were going into this quarantine that they might go to the shelter and, and adopt an animal or at least foster an animal and have some companionship as you know we were as this is unfolding 
But the thing about Ozzy that he does for me, not only in giving me comfort as pets tend to do, but he also snaps me out of things, right? So him, you know, telling me because I've wandered into the kitchen that it's time for me to be a Pez dispenser and give him another cat treat is actually pretty good for my emotional state and for my mental state because I have him in my environment to snap me out of to snap me out of things. So how is that? How, so you're there with family. You have other human beings in in your households with you. Do you find something similar for yourself? You know, that's a really interesting question because I think um, it, it it it's a double-edged sword because on one side we we sometimes tend to magnify each other's stress mm. where um, luckily we have uh, two dogs and uh, my son who lives downstairs has a cat and they they don't seem to know that this pandemic's going on and so <laughs> they, they 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 in many ways just like you say they're they're like that that level set that hey business as usual for us let's just kind of just throw the ball and and be happy <laughs> and, and yeah, run around but yeah. you know um our human companions it seems like we're all dealing with our own demons um and yes absolutely i wouldn't give up the support that i get from my family and, and it's definitely a net positive but there's also that aspect that we just kind of if I'm stressed, I stress everyone else out. And when one of them is stressed, they stress us out yeah. um, as we go through our own curves that, while similar, are never this, they never happen at the same time. Someone may be depressed and, and someone else is like, I'm riding high and I don't know why you're down here. Why don't you come up here where I'm at? Mm. As well, Steve, uh, I've got eight people in my household and it's almost like watching a pendulum swing back and forth with the stress levels. Uh, we fortunately have enough space that we can all separate within our separation here. As we're locked down, we can all go to our own, own rooms, our own place and, and find a happy place if we need And our own devices. <laughs> the, those devices yeah. really are very important. <laughs> they get their, uh, get on phones and, and everyone can watch their own Netflix thing. So, hey, thinking about, you know, one of the other frameworks that I think a lot of people are familiar with, or some people are familiar with, is the five languages of love. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm familiar with the book. Yes, yes. So I think, you know, again, in providing some kind of context and, and tools for people to use, we've been talking a lot about having self-awareness. And I think another thing that's driving our emotional states and our mental states is that we're not necessarily, you know, we, we usually have our lives organized in order to get those, whatever our, our primary languages are to get our needs met on a regular basis. So like, as an example, um, you know, so the five languages for people that don't know are some people uh, show love and receive love or recognize love as words of affirmation. Um, others recognize it through quality time, others through touch. Some people it's with gifts and with other people it's through acts of service. And as the uh, methodology goes uh, in the five languages of love is that we usually have a primary and a secondary. And for me, it's acts of service and it's touch. And so, you know, isolating at home and not being around other people, I'm a hugger, I, you know, and Leonard can attest to this, like, I go to a public event, and I'm <laughs> hugging all sorts of people. Like, I mean, that's just part of my, you know, that's part of my language of love. And, you know, so now being self isolated, uh, I've got, again, the cat. And that's awesome. He likes hugs. Um, he would prefer greenies, but he likes <laughs> hugs. And, you know, but I, but I was talking to, uh, you know, I was talking to another friend of mine and she really feels starved at this point. And, and when we were kind of talking through it, it was the recognition that she hasn't been around family members that she's used to seeing on a regular basis that give her that physical affection that she needs, right? And so it's, well, then that's, you know, so again, using the five languages of love, where are we sort of cut off in those languages because our lives have been disrupted and we're not getting those needs met and how is that contributing? Does that make some sense? It really does, it really does. And it's really interesting from the, 
perspective that it's and, and if I remember from the book, The Five Languages of Love, I mean, it has so much more to do with understanding how people express their love and that we often think about being starved from the perspective of what we receive. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, it's almost like the, the starvation is so much more acute when you're not able to express your yeah. love in the way that works best for you. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And wow. I, I've got a, a colleague who actually uses it who uses the five languages of love in a professional setting. And I think this is something that we can all do on the Zooms and on calls together is if we have some sense of perhaps what people's modalities are, again, within the appropriate context of professionalism, but I think, you know, sending somebody a virtual hug who, you know, seems to be kind of a tactile and physical kind of person or somebody who we might recognize as a person who responds to words of affirmation. Like, how do we be deliberate in helping to give and take in that kind of way to help meet these emotional needs in the in this new normal, in this new, in this new sort of context? Can we be attentive? And then this goes back to family. If you're like we were talking about before, you're in a household with other people. That's not my experience in this pandemic, but you're in a household with other people. What are they missing out of their day-to-day lives and their routines that, um, you know, they've, they've been cut off uh, and how, you know, it's a way of us being in service to each other, right? Of being attentive to each other's needs is that that's another framework that we might be able to use. You know, maybe maybe part of it is just sitting down and taking an inventory of how do our family members and those close to us express their love, and um, I'm I'm not sure I've ever really done that. I'm not sure I've ever really sat down and thought this is this is how my son tells me that he loves me. He does it by doing this, and it might be something that annoys me sometimes. Um, and uh, maybe maybe that's the, the challenge going into next week is is really trying to figure out how people communicate their affection to us, especially during this difficult time where we are in each other's spaces all the time. Well, I think that's a, a great thought, Steve, as we kind of move towards wrapping up, you know, I'm kind of hearing some overriding themes here uh, from this conversation today. And and I'd like for us to, you know, uh, talking to our listeners now, I'd like for all of us to kind of take these themes with us, even beyond the current situation. So we, we talked about the different phases of where we are. So now we're getting back outside some of us for the first time. And then the next step probably will be going back to work. So some valuable things that we've talked about here is, Steve, I think you're right on, uh, being more sensitive to the needs of others. And the overriding theme that we're hearing here is how different we all are. And all of us, of course, view life through the frame that we have. And so we somewhat, I I know I'm certainly guilty of it. So for me, it's not a somewhat, it's an absolute. (laughs) I view everything through the frame that I have. And so I assume other people have that same framework. But the reality is, Steve, you've got a different framework than I do. Trish, you've got a different framework than I do. So you throw in the five love languages or you throw in communication styles or you throw in some of these other things and each of us are unique. And so rather we can use our time now to, again, to Steve's challenge here, kind of reflect on who is our circle and what can we do to help meet their needs during this time in a way that's meaningful to them. And then, Trish, I think you gave us some great tools. I know we could have scratched the surface on a lot more other areas, but you're talking about the Dan Berlay with the breathing. You know, we can always do some good breathing exercises to uh, I, part of that, you know, kind of emotional intelligence, possibly even tie in with some of these things we're talking about. But to take a moment when we're in a situation, breathe. <laughs> even just breathing period, right? It consciously breathe gives us chance to reflect. And then of course, move as well. And uh, you mentioned neural movement from Harvard. And uh, w- what was that name again? That was Anat Bre- Banya. Is that the correct name? Yeah, uh, her name is India? 
uh, from uh, Israel. Uh, so, and she's here Israel, in the States. Yeah, she's actually, she's based out of, but her, she's based out of California, but her name is Israeli. So her first name is Anat, A-N-A-T. And her last name is Baniel, B as in boy, A-N-I-E-L. So it's the Anat Baniel method, neuro movement um, out of California. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, so some great, great ideas there of what we can do, uh, calming ourselves and in calming ourselves, kind of then maybe even go in the next step and reflect on how we can best help other folks and all that. Uh, Trish, did you have any last thoughts? And then we'll bounce to Steve for his last thoughts before we wrap up. Yeah, I, I, there's one more that I'd really like to to share that I think would be really very helpful sure. because it has to do with, I, you know, definitely insightful in emotional intelligence, right? So this is all about learning coping skills. And, and again, in many circumstances, many of us haven't learned deliberate coping skills and strategies before. We've kind of gone to whatever our default is. So I totally agree with what you're saying, Leonard, and Steve, what you've said previous on this call, and that is, this is a good opportunity for us to take stock and to sort of think things through. And so that being said, I, you know, one more that I'd like to share actually has to do mm-hmm. with this concept of coherence. And coherence is actually the energy level that we have around our heart chamber. And what that means is, is that we can actually measure coherence in something that's called HRV. It's heart rate variability. Heart rate variability, this goes back, Steve, I'm thinking of when you talked about the metronome before, but heart rate variability is actually the time between heartbeats. And the importance of this, uh, it's, a, it's a measurement that's actually used um, in a very practical way in a, in a number of different ways. Athletes, professional athletes, Olympic athletes actually use HRV. But what you're, what you're finding is the health of the energy around the heart. And, and again, we call it coherence. And the reason why coherence is important is because the heart actually dictates the brain. So we think that the brain controls all of the body functions. It's not true. It actually starts with the heart. And so if our heart doesn't have a healthy level of energy around it, then it doesn't direct the brain properly. And if it doesn't direct the brain properly, then we have all sorts of mental acumen uh, challenges. You know, it can, it can disrupt our thinking it can also then disrupt our brain's ability to be able to direct other bodily functions. And so think of it as having a low coherence would be like having a low, a low immune system, right? So we know when we have a, a cold, like a standard common cold, we know that our immune system is kind of down. Well, having low coherence also means that our immune system is kind of down. So one of the things that we can do is that we can actually raise our coherence. Um, And also what's significant about that is coherence is viral. So our low coherence or high coherence, as the case may be, is actually infectious. It It actually affects other people around us and their levels of coherence actually affect us as well. So when they talk about like, you know, misery loves company, yeah, it's measurable. Um, there's also some research too, in we've heard over the years as, uh, bullying in organizations has now been more and more addressed and bullying at school. Like there's actually toxicity. Like we can, we can actually measure that somebody who's in a toxic state or even a bully, you can measure based on the proximity, people's physical distances from that person, like how far that literally spreads and how impacted the people are more close in physical proximity to that particular person. Because again, coherence is contagious. So how do you control or manage your coherence actually has to do with a combination of awareness, breath, and thought. And what you want to do is you can actually just take your hand and put it over your heart and just sit for a moment and just kind of 
check in with yourself. Just kind of feel like what your emotional state currently is. And you can even kind of give it a number, like on a scale from one to 10. Like, you know, do you, do you feel a little bit more up? Do you feel a little bit more down? Or do you feel somewhere sort of, you know, kind of like neutral? And just do kind of that baseline check-in. And then what you can do in raising your coherence and by raising your coherence, elevating your immune system and elevating your mood is you can think of something that you're grateful for. And it could be anything that you're grateful for. It could be grateful for having that moment in time. It could be grateful for the people in your life or a particular person in your life. It could be, you know, for me, it could be grateful for Ozzy Cat. Like it could be grateful for whatever it is, but think of something that you have gratitude for and hold that thought in your mind and with your hand over your heart, just like we would here in the States with a Pledge of Allegiance, but with your hand over your heart, take in three, you're going you're gonna to take in and exhale three deep breaths. And as you do that, holding that thought of gratitude, you're going to push that gratitude and your breath through your hand into your heart chamber. So let's, let's try it. Can we try it now? Let's do. So I'm going to give us a countdown to three. Are, do you have something that you're grateful for? Can you think of something? I know you guys can. I got a few things. <laughs> do, do we have to say it out loud? <laughs> you don't. You don't have to share. This can be very individual and very personal. And so then I'm going to count us down to three and then just give us an opportunity and our, our listeners too, that on the count of three to start taking our deep breaths and then we'll just come back. Ready? And we have our hands over our hearts at this point, right? Hands over our hearts and with the thought of something that we're grateful for or some things that we're grateful for, it can certainly be plural. And then at the count of three, we're going to take individually three deep breaths breaths and well individually together so uh and then breathe and think of what we're grateful for and imagine pushing that through your hand into your heart chamber ready one two three And as we come back, how do you feel? It's very relaxing. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I found it kind of timed with, you know, that breath as, as, as you push that breath out. That's kind of like where I felt like I was pushing it into my heart. <laughs> and um, I, th I think that would just be a great way to start or even end any day, you know, when you're lying on your back and, um, looking up at the ceiling <laughs> and having whatever thoughts you're having at that point, I think that would be a great way to end it. And in fact, one of the things that I found really interesting as you were talking about this is having worked with uh, children with autism, that's one of the best ways to calm them oftentimes is you put one hand on their chest and one on their back and, you, you know, you apply a, a, a constant, consistent pressure and help them breathe as you do that. And in some ways it felt like I was kind of trying to calm myself but with a, a positive and, you know, sort of thought that I was drawing in um, to my chest. So I, I, I think that's a that's that's just a great coping me mechanism. I hope um, everyone who tried this, if you're listening to the podcast at this point, had a similar experience. Yeah, I, I know uh, I couldn't feel my heart rate near as much afterwards as I did before, uh, before. I don't know if I was nervous and doing this and recording it or what was happening. Uh, but after we did it, it's like, where, where'd my heart rate go? I had to feel around to see if it was still there. <laughs> and is it still there? It, it is. Good news is it's still there. Good, good. That is, that's good news. It might be small, but it's still there. <laughs> All right. Well, gosh. Well, 
Trish, thanks so much for sharing. Well, and if people want to find out more information about that particular technique and about heart rate variability, there is the Heart Math Institute out of Northern California. So they can look at heart math. And there's a whole bunch of research on how it impacts us individually and how it impacts us collectively. And on a, on a last note, as we wrap here, I've actually done that technique with um, 30,000 other people at Burning Man. But that's a whole other story for another day. <laughs> well, that that definitely leaves people wanting more. <laughs> well, Trish, thanks again for being here and, and just sharing some of these techniques and sharing some of your personal stories with us. It's been great. And uh, as I said earlier, you know, it's some great takeaways for us. Uh, Steve, you've already challenged us to kind of reflect on the love languages and the way we can reach out to those around us. Any any additional thoughts before we wrap up today? No, just uh, I want to also uh, thank Trish for being with us today and, and on our last podcast as well. I, I, I feel like I've learned a lot and um, have some better tools maybe as we continue to navigate these yeah. uncertain waters um, as we move through our own furlough or as you and I, Leonard, have kind of repurposed this word uh, to mean any time that life just says, stop, you can't go that way anymore. Now you have a new direction. So whatever furloughs we have to encounter in the future as well. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks again, Trish. Great having you and uh, your insights as well. Please feel free to reach out to us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Love to hear from you and certainly like us and comment online as well, whatever media that you listen to us on. Uh, we'd love to have your feedback. And once again, just to acknowledge Upwards Unlimited is our sponsor. So again, that's up, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. And be sure and check out their website as well. So take care, everyone, and put these into practice. Let us know what your results are at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>